Well, God's good, isn't he? I'm a testimony of his goodness. We come to chapter 11, and I don't want us to lose sight of where we've been, even though we take a little bit smaller bites. So we started with the Lord's Prayer. Now, one of the things you should be asking yourself as we uh, go through this section today, why? Why? Why does Luke begin this particular section with the Lord's Prayer? Then we see Jesus move to do a healing. You may remember he cast a demon out of someone, and it was so incredible. The act that he did was so amazing. The people said, we've never seen anything like this. And then the scribes and the Pharisees, the lawyers and the Pharisees, they accused him of doing it out of the darkness within him. And Jesus then begins to give a teaching. If, if there was darkness in me, I wouldn't be able to do it. If he was doing it by the power of Satan, how can a house divided against itself stand? And you'll remember last time we ended, we went and we talked about uh, what Jesus uh, said in verse 34. He said, your eye, chapter 11, 34, your eye is the lamp of your body. And when your eye is healthy, your whole body is full of light. But when it's bad, your body is full of darkness. He's saying that, remember we talked about the idea that they had was that the way someone saw was the light within them came out of their eyes and that was what illuminated gave them the ability to see. So Jesus is saying, you say that this is how you see, but I say, if what's in you is darkness, then you can't see the light. You can't understand what's going on. And so this whole section, even to today, is an answer to that accusation and to the idea that maybe what's really wrong is inside of us and not outside of us. See, the lawyers and the Pharisees, they were pretty sure that their lives looked real good from the outside. You ever known people like that? Life looks great from the outside. Now they're full, just like Jesus would tell them in the book of Matthew, Jesus says, your whitewashed tombs full of what? Dead man's bones. What's that mean? Where's the problem, outside or inside? Inside. Now keep in mind with what we've been going through in chapter 11, the idea that they're accusing Jesus of casting out a demon, though inside of him is full of darkness, while they, standing on the side, are proclaiming themselves to be light, but inside of them is darkness. And this is what Jesus is pointing out to them. This is part of the discussion that he's having with them on this day. And hopefully we'll be able to wrap that all up so that, so that I can tie it in a neat little bow. But what he's pointing out for them is their hypocrisy. Hypocrisy is an English word now, but it's really a Greek word. So you guys didn't know you could speak Greek, right? But if you say hypocrisy, you just did. Hypocrisy means to act. To be an actor. We use the word of someone who's pretending to be something that they're really not. And this is what Jesus is focusing in on. He's, he's narrowing his scope here at the end of chapter 11 to say the really, the, the issue is hypocrisy. And he's going to begin to point out their hypocrisy. Now, do we have any hypocrites here today? Hallelujah. There's at least a few people that know. Right? Some of us are confused. We don't think we are. Yeah, I, I know I am. I drink diet drinks now. It's shocking, but I still eat a quarter pounder with cheese and large french fries. 
hypocrite. On one hand, pretending to try to cut back. On the other hand, still devouring 10,000 calories in a single meal. The idea of hypocrisy and the point of Jesus pointing it out, I think is so that men can begin to recognize that we all think the evil in this world is out there somewhere. We think it's those people over there on the other side of the tracks, or those people from a different neighborhood than us, or those people from a different town than us. We think somehow evil's out there, and what Jesus is saying is, evil is inside of every one of us. And it has to be dealt with. If it's not, it doesn't matter how pretty we make the outside. If the inside is still full of dead man's bones, what was the point? Now we're walking in our hypocrisy, but the problem is we can deceive ourselves into thinking, I'm good. Look how I've cleaned up the outside. But Jesus, the Word of God, giving us the definition for the law of God, who nobody else could do it better than Jesus, the Word of God, teaching about the Word of God, He told us that the thoughts that we deal with are still a witness against us that our insides aren't changed. So we need, we need to see that transformation. And really, that's what Jesus is calling the scribes and the Pharisees to. Now, remember, when we look at the Gospels, Jesus is not instituting this yet. What did He come to do? Did Jesus come to birth the church? Jesus came to die, right? He's headed to the cross. There's never a question that they're all going to receive Him and He's not going to go to the cross. He has to go to the cross, right? It's by His death, burial, and resurrection that we can be transformed. That the darkness in us can be made what? Light. So it's through that. So that's what He's doing. But He's laying the groundwork. Because these scribes and Pharisees in Acts chapter 4 are going to stand before a group of disciples, well, Peter and John and a man that they healed, and they're going to be blown away at the boldness of their testimony. Yes, Peter, who just denied the Lord a few days earlier, he, they're going to be blown away by their testimony for the Lord, and they're going to only have this to say. All they could really say was, those guys were with Jesus. And now... Post the cross, resurrection, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, their lives are transformed. And they've become what I think Jesus is laying out for us in Luke chapter 11. That you can see that the darkness inside of them has been changed to light. Just like you would have seen that in Christ. Everybody who came to Christ understood there was something different about Him. Because He didn't have inside of Him the darkness that we do. Right? The Bible says he was without sin. He was born without sin. How how long does it take you and I to sin as infants? Is it possible? What keeps an infant from being a murderer? Size. Am I wrong? If you don't, what do you think they're saying when they're crying for milk? You don't feed me, I'm going to beat you within a. It's pretty close, no? Or a little toddler, right? When they get upset and they get frustrated. And every one of us, at one time or another, raising our children, had a, one of our small children take a swing at us, no? And we think 
We think, here's where we err, we think that that darkness is out there. And if we keep them away from the Disney Channel, they won't get it. Or if they don't watch Nick at Night, it's not going to happen to them. Or if, or if we keep them away from those kind of friends. But we're wrong. And we're, we're not focused on the real issue. And the real issue is, we're born wanting, desiring to sin and rebel against God. And when we submit our heart to Christ, when we surrender our heart to Christ, and we declare Him as our Lord and Savior, light moves in. And what happens when light comes into darkness? It pushes the darkness out, right? And what do we have? Transformation. And this is kind of what Jesus is laying out for. So what happens? What's going on? Verse 37, it says, Now while Jesus was speaking, he's sharing these ideas, a Pharisee asked him to dine with him. So he went in and reclined at the table. So they gathered. Jesus wasn't afraid to go eat with the religious people. Oftentimes we focus on the fact that Jesus hung out with prostitutes and tax collectors. That's not all he hung out with. He would. You'd have a hard time putting him at a click because that guy was with everybody. He's with scribes, Pharisees, Sadducees. Those three people didn't talk to each other. But they all talked to who? Jesus. He was with sinners, truly. Tax collectors, prostitutes. There was nobody that Jesus would deny. Isn't that encouraging to us? Because what that means to me is he's not denying me. Now, I recognize, I know, I have darkness inside of me that has to be dealt with every single day. Every day I have to not get re-saved, I have to surrender, right? Because I want to take over again. Anybody ever give something away and take it back? Especially to the Lord? Here, Lord, wait, that's mine. Here, Lord, wait, that's mine. Yeah? So I have to deal with that stuff all the time and surrender, 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 surrender. Jesus, or Paul would say, we have to die how, how many days? So, daily, right? Jesus said we're supposed to take up our cross how often? Oh, we got to do that every day too. So there's probably some issues, right, that are going to come up in us that we have to learn to deal with. So, hey, Jesus, he didn't have no hang-ups, man. The relig- religious people asked him to lunch. He said, cool, let's go eat. And as he's reclining at the table, the Pharisee was astonished because he did not first wash for dinner. Now you can't see it, but if you were reading this in Greek, the word for wash is baptizo. That sounds familiar, right? It was a ceremonial washing. It doesn't mean Jesus went in there with grungy hands and he had dirt all over his hands and started eating and the guy was freaked out. That's not what it means. It means that that after a normal washing, what they would do is a ceremonial washing. The ceremonial washing would be to pour water and it would flow down and drip off your elbow. And then you hang your arm down and you pour water over your arm and it drip off your pinky. And this was a ceremonial cleansing to establish your purity, if you will, your outward cleanliness before God. So the Pharisee would do this, Jesus would just went over and sat at the table. And the Pharisee is like, wow. Now, he doesn't say a thing. He just is, it says he was astonished. He's like, oh. I thought he was light. If he was light, he'd do the same things I do, wouldn't he? 
Now, sometimes, here's the rub, guys. Sometimes that's how we relate to God. We think, well, if God was really God, He would think like me. So who's really God? Yeah, no, let me, let me help you guys. God thinks differently than you. He doesn't think like you think. He doesn't do what you do. Do we all, can we all acknowledge that? What about in the Old Testament? Did God always do what it seemed like he should do? When the people got to the, to Jericho to take Jericho, the Lord had them build siege towers, right? And just, no, that's, what do he do? March around the town over and over again. Cause that's how you take a city, right? You encircle it and sing praise. Well, first you just be quiet. And then on the Sabbath, when you're not supposed to do anything, you do twice as much work, and then you shout, and the walls fall down. Well, surely if he was God, he wouldn't do it that way. Okay, let's go back to the beginning. He's God. You're not. He's in charge. You're not. You don't know what you're doing. You know it, and I know it. So let's stop pretending that somehow, if God thought like I did, then he would be God. No, God thinks differently. God thinks wholly other. God thinks transcendently. In Isaiah 55, it says, God's thoughts are so much greater than mine, I can't even begin to wrap my mind around it. Well, here the Pharisees looking at him and thinking, well, if you were really God, if you were really light, you would have done this washing. Because you would know all us Pharisees do it. And surely we're the holiest guys on earth. So if you were holy, you'd do what we do. So this is what he's thinking in his mind. And the Lord said to him, now he didn't say nothing, the Lord said to him, Now you Pharisees, you clean the outside of the cup and of the dish, but inside you are full of greed and wickedness. What's he saying? The outside looks good, brother, but inside of you there's darkness, and I can see it. Meanwhile, the Pharisee, who's pretty sure inside of him is full of light, is looking at Jesus and thinking, well, just a little while ago, we said you were full of the devil. But what, was, what were the things Jesus did? The things Jesus did look like darkness? Healing people? Touching people? Transforming people's lives? That looked like darkness? This is the, this is the rub. This is the struggle. So in verse 40, he says something that's going to be important in a little while. He says, you fools, you fools, did not he who made the outside make the inside also? Now that's going to be an important concept for us to, to come as we come toward the end, as we look at the, the text before us today. But I want you to grasp it. He's pointing to Proverbs now. And he's going to point to Proverbs again at the end. And Jesus is declaring himself to be the wisdom of God. And the wisdom of God, according to Proverbs, is the one you follow that leads to life, right? So if I want to walk in life, I follow wisdom. Jesus is going to declare himself to be wise. But it's always contrasted in Proverbs with the fool. And the fool doesn't follow God. The fool follows his own ways. So he's saying to him, listen... You guys aren't, what he's meaning, you guys aren't following the ways of God. Didn't God make the outside and the inside? Or do you think you only got to clean the outside? We got to take care of both parts, don't we? Don't we got to do that with our cars? 
Or you just take care of it outside. Oh, you keep it clean. But it's broke in your driveway. Because you never put oil in it. Well, I don't need to put oil in it. I just need to keep it clean. I just got to wash it. Now, if you're consistent like me, not only do you not wash it, you don't put oil in it either. (laughs) But I always say I get points for consistency at least, right? What is it that Jesus is saying? Hey, you, you have what everyone sees, and you have what God sees. And Jesus is declaring to him, I see what God sees, and it is dirty. It's evil. Look at verse 41. Listen to this. But give as alms those things that are within. And behold, everything is clean for you. Now, sometimes people, they don't pay, they didn't pay attention to it. They say, okay, all I got to do is give alms. So if I give enough money to the church, I'm good. Or if I give enough money to the poor, I'm good. Is that what he just said? He said, give as alms what is within you. Now, what is within them? Darkness. So what will be evident in their actions? Darkness. He's saying, I can see what's in you by what you do. When we get to the end, they're going to be plotting to kill Jesus. What's in them? It's not hard to see. What's in them is darkness. What are they giving as alms? What are they handing out to the people? What's inside of them? What's in them? Darkness, evil, wickedness. So they make the people that they're giving it to just more wicked like themselves. It's evident. But if the alms within you, if what's within you is light, when you give what's in you, You'll be clean because you can see what's inside by what you do. Can you recognize that? Every once in a while I think, man, I'm doing good. I'm, I'm pretty clean, all scrubbed up. And something will happen and the ugly comes back up again. That ever happened to anybody else? You go around your day and you're thinking, I'm good, I'm looking pretty Christian here, I'm... I'm, I'm, I'm talking well, I'm, I'm acting well, and then, I don't know, it could be something little. Uh, your wife says, your phone charger is her phone charger. <laughs> and the tirade begins. And the next thing you know, you're shouting and screaming and having this big old crazy cycle battle over a phone charger. And when all the dust settles at the end, I sit back and go, wow, I I didn't really know that was in me still. Right? Well, what does God tell us to do about that? Should we pretend it's not there? Is that what we do? Well, that you now have the title of the message, hypocrisy, right? Pretend it's not there. Or do what? Confess. Repent. And be forgiven. That's how we live. That's how you are a Christian. Not perfected. But recognizing what's inside of you when it comes out. Confessing it. Going for the Lord in repentance and allowing God to cleanse it. We want light inside of us. We don't want the darkness inside of us. We want that light coming through. Out of a changed heart, out of a changed life, 
The almsgiving that comes from within is going to be compassion and mercy and love. Right? Isn't that the fruit of the Spirit? That's what will be coming from within you. Nobody cares about your wallet. Well, he does care about your wallet because sometimes your heart's attached to it. But what he's saying here, what's he want? What's inside? What's inside of you? Cleanse it. Allow God to do the work that he wants to do. Because sometimes... As hypocrites, we have bad attitudes. But we can hide it under a tie and a nice shirt. Right? Or a clean haircut. Or a shaved face. Or you can hide it under a big bushy beard. Right? It's all the same. Lots of different ways to hide, isn't there? But we we want to be truthful. We want to have the right kind of priorities. Look at verse 42. Verse 42, he begins his woes. But woe to you, Pharisees. Now this officially, if it wasn't already uncomfortable lunch, it's uncomfortable now. Right? They're they're having a big ruckus around the table. Anybody ever have a Thanksgiving like that? Hmm. Oh, you didn't just say that. Don't invite uncle so-and-so. He always causes a fight. Or when everybody walks through the door. No talking about religion or politics. We want to have nice dinner. Well, don't invite Jesus over then. (laughs) Because as soon as you tell him the rules, he's going to break it. He's going to shake it up. Woe to you Pharisees, for you tithe mint and rue and every herb. But you neglect justice and the love of God. Listen to this part. These you ought to have done, but not neglect the others. Did you catch that? So their tithing is so important to them that they tithe of the herbs in their garden. Now, the closest thing we got to that is the harvest table, right? When we start getting our, our garden start producing, we bring our excess, put it out on the table. Those who don't have a garden can take what's there. And, uh, and, and so we try to share. But these guys, man, they, I, I, I've never, Kathy has, uh, I don't even know what they're called. What, what, what herbs you got? Herb. You're just going to leave me hang here like this. Dill, basil, oregano. When's the last time we chopped that up and took a tenth of it and brought it to church? I don't ever think about it. I don't ever go, you know, how much salt did we buy at the store today? We need to take a tenth of the salt and bring it to church. How much bread did you get? We got a, a bread, a hundred slices. We should have brought ten to church. I want you to understand, this is what they did. And Jesus said, that's what they should have done. That's kind of a heavy concept, right? The idea of... Giving of our stuff to God. I don't want your stuff, and we're not passing the baskets no more. It's all over. Don't sweat. <laughs> but what I want you to understand is what the Lord said here. You tithe of your mint and your, and your herbs. He said, this you should have done, but then without neglecting the others. What was the others? What did they neglect to do? Justice and love God. Well, is that a big one? To love God. Now, Paul, later on, when he talks about the offering, about giving gifts, he said, 
uh, only do what you can do out of a joyful heart. Why? Because perhaps all that tithing makes you bitter. And you take your bread loaf and you take your tent. Stupid. Got to take this to the church. Throw that down and take your pepper and put, pour out a tenth of that and put down stinking church, taking all my stuff. And then you go through all your stuff like that, right? And, and the Lord said that you should have done, but you, you couldn't love God when you did it. Why not? Why couldn't you love God? Because you love your stuff. Jesus said, there's only room in your heart to love one thing. Right? I'm either going to love myself and my stuff, or I'm going to love God. And that's kind of high on the list of priorities, no? To be able to love. So that's why Paul said later on, almost as a concession, Paul says later on, look, just give what you can give and still love God. Give out of a hilarious heart. Love the Lord with your stuff. And it's not all, I'm just trying to simplify it so we can understand it. So don't everybody start bringing salt and pepper next week and (laughs) ten slices of bread and all that. I'm just trying to simplify it so we can understand how how they thought and what the Lord is saying for them. These you ought to have done. Listen to Hosea chapter 6. Guys, I've, I've shared this with you a number of times. Hosea, prophet, given to the <clears throat> nation of Israel. He said, what shall I do with you, O Ephraim? O Ephraim, northern kingdom. What shall I do with you, O Judah? Southern kingdom. Your love is like a morning cloud. Like the dew that goes early away. Does anybody want somebody who has love like that? What I really want, what I'm looking for as a, in, a, in, a, in a marriage is someone who loves me in the morning and hates me in the evening. Is that what we're looking for? Nobody's looking for that, right? What does it say? Your love goes away early. Therefore, he says, I have hewn you by the prophets. And I have slain you by the words of my mouth. And my judgment goes forth as the light. Why? For I desire steadfast love. God says, I want your loyal love. I desire loyal love, not your sacrifice. Which was more weighty to God? Jesus said you should have done that, but you should have loved God when you did it. Paul said if you can't do that and love God, then do whatever you can and love God. But the most important part is to do what? Love God. Love God. Don't be chained back by your stuff. I desire steadfast love, not sacrifice. And the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. God says, look, I'm not, I'm not as into all the rituals as you think I am. I want your heart. I want your love. I want you to want to know me. That's no different than how we see our human relationships. We want those around us whom we love and care for that want to know us. And this is what the Lord is calling for. Micah 6, 6 through 8. With what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before God on high? Shall I come before Him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams and 10,000 rivers of oil? This is all stuff, right? That God says, this is the stuff you should give me. Will God be pleased with all of these things? Shall I give my firstborn? 
Is that what God wants? My firstborn. I'll give Him my firstborn for my transgression. The fruit of my own body for the sin of my soul. And then the prophet Micah says, He has told you, O man, what is good. What does the Lord require of you? To do justice. To love mercy. Love kindness. And walk humbly with your God. That's what God wants. Why does He ask for that stuff? Because when you give it, and it makes you mad, it ought to tell you something about what's inside. It ought to tell you about what's really important in my life. What I've been here nine years now, so nine years ago, I came to Idaho on the coolest Harley Davidson on earth. If you've seen it, if you go back nine years, you know, I had eight hangers, 21 inch eight hangers. I had to stand up on a bike, I could just barely touch the top of the bars. <laughs> and as soon as you do this on a motorcycle, you are instantly cool. <laughs> In fact, <clears throat> when I was a kid, you guys remember the Schwins and they had the banana seat, and what'd you do with the bars? You had them big tall bars. You remember? Don't act like none of you were seeing that stuff. Or at least you old folks saw it. The, you young people think those are funny looking bikes. Anyways, I on a Wednesday night I was here and I said, you know what? Hey, if the Lord wants my Harley, he can have it. If you were here, you heard those words. Thursday, <laughs> on my way to worship practice, I get run over by a meat truck. Now, I did say when I came to, Lord, we could have worked this out a different way. <laughs> you know, you could have just brought somebody and said, told me to sell it or something. <laughs> no, he ran over it with a meat truck, smashed it into little pieces, rolled it. It was right over by Chris Moore. So if you guys know Chris Moore's, ask him. He was sitting out on his patio, enjoying dinner, and all of a sudden he seen a guy fly by in the air. Woo! That was me. So... Anyways, the Lord took it. And three years ago, He gave it back. It's all His. Now, I'm hoping He don't hit me with a truck tomorrow. <laughs> but if He wants the one I got, He can have it. None of my stuff is mine. It's all His. It's on loan to me, and I hope... In the ways that I use the things He's given me, I honor Him. Because the most important thing is that in my life, I am saying, I love God. Not, I love my stuff more than God. This is what Jesus is pointing to. In Matthew 15, 8 and 9, He said this, These people honor Me with their lips, but their heart is far from Me. In vain do they worship Me. They're wasting their time teaching as doctrine, the commandments of men. He says, they don't love me. I don't want you to just go through the motions. I want you to love me. This is what Jesus is saying to the Pharisees. So what's he telling them? Woe to you, Pharisees. Woe. Because the things you do to honor God, <coughs> you don't love God when you do them. Your priorities are messed up. You love your stuff. God don't need your stuff. He needs your heart. But if your stuff has your heart, then maybe there needs to be an attitude of repentance in our heart 
letting our stuff go. And not holding on to those things so tightly. Then we have the second woe. In verse 43, Woe to you Pharisees, for you love the best seat in the synagogues, greetings in the marketplace. What's he saying? Woe to you. You you love how people see you and not how God sees you. You care more about how people see you than how God sees you. So you spend all your time cleaning up the outside and you leave the inside alone. But God sees the inside. When the people were looking for a king, remember they picked Saul because Saul was head and shoulders above everybody else. He's handsome and pretty and everybody said, what a pretty guy. We should have him as king. But when God chose a king, it says he picked the runt of the litter, the one that they wouldn't even bring. He was out in the field. He was all ruddy. That means he was all tan because he was out in the field working with the sheep. He smelled like a sheep. He smelled like a goat. He was a wild kid. You could barely keep cornered anywhere in the room. In fact, when they got him, they probably had to put people on both sides of him to hold him still long enough for Samuel to dump oil on his head and anoint him as king. Right now, in Sunday school, there are kids just like that. <laughs> the Lord says, I don't look at the outside like you guys. I see the heart. And that one, he's got a heart for me. So we, we start to care so much about the outside. Now, I'm not saying neglect the outside. God wants both, right? He made both. But we should be caring about the inside. The Pharisees didn't. They cared about the outside. Look at verse 44. He says, Woe to you, for you are like unmarked graves, and people walk over you without knowing it. Now that's a little different. Used to, what we're used to hearing is, you, you're whitewashed tombs. I'll tell you another gospel. It comes later. You're whitewashed tombs full of dead man's bones. But what he's saying here is, you're unmarked graves. <coughs> you're dead guys laying in the ground, and people walk over you, and they end up getting unclean because of you. Because they're teaching the same thing to whoever will listen. And so they spread their, their, their lies, their deceit to others. So they don't care about others. Their desires are selfish and their priorities are out of whack. And while this is going on, <laughs> I had a kid like this. One of my kids was like this. I'm just hollering at JC. He's my oldest. And another thing, you know, and you get going, and then the middle child pipes up. Hey, Dad, you know, like they feel left out. How come you're not yelling at me? Well, okay. (laughs) I was saving it all for the oldest, but I'll give some to you too. So you have the same thing right here. The, The lawyers who are sitting there thinking, hey, hey, you're making us uncomfortable. The lawyers feel left out. It says, one of the lawyers said, said to him, Teacher, in saying these things, you're insulting us too. <laughs> yeah, good, because I'm coming to you next. <laughs> Don't want you to be left out at all. Verse 46. So he said, <clears throat> Woe to you, lawyers, for you load people with burdens hard to bear, and you don't touch the burdens with one finger. The lawyer was the interpreters of the law. So whenever I tell you the crazy ideas of the law, the crazy things they said you could do or couldn't do, that was all done by the scribes or lawyers. So the lawyers would interpret the law. So when somebody would say, I don't want to break the Sabbath, so how should I do it? And they say, okay, well, as long as you carry a string all the way from your home, all the way around the whole city you live in, you can go wherever you want to because basically it's all encircled as part of your house. 
That's putting on them burdens, but they don't grab a string and do it. They're putting on people burdens to try to be obedient to God that aren't things that God said in the first place. God didn't say, hey, on the Sabbath day you can't walk through the city. God never said that. God never said on the Sabbath day, all He said is on the Sabbath day, don't do any work. Don't do any work. And then the lawyer sat back and said, okay, well, what's work? Well, work is, you all know what work is. You know if you're doing it. You know, it's, it's defined for me sin. You know what sin is. It's those things you do and you feel bad about. But you keep doing anyway. That's what sin is. I don't have to give you a list, do I? You go, oh yeah, you knew as soon as you did it. In fact, for the unsaved in, in Romans, Paul says, your conscience will be your judge. And one day a person who's not saved will stand before God... And God will look at him and say, hey, did you ever do something your conscience said was wrong? Uh, You can't lie in front of God, right? Yeah. Then you're guilty. It's not about making a list, but that's what they did. They made a list and made life hard, made life challenging, made life difficult, but they never helped the people to understand. So they're just passing on the nonsense. He said to them in verse 47, Woe to you, for you build the tombs of the prophets that your fathers killed. Let me put it to you this way. Your parents killed the prophets and you buried them. The idea is, your parents killed them and you keep them dead. You put them in the ground. So you are a witness and you consent to the deeds of your fathers, for they killed them. And you build their tombs. You killed them, or they killed them, and you build their tombs. What are you saying? Your fathers killed the prophets, the messengers from God, who came to tell the people the truth while you were telling them all these lies. And every time one of those messengers shows up to tell the people the truth, you kill them. What do they do with somebody who will actually speak what the Word of God says? It's no different today, folks. Here's the truth. If I teach from this pulpit something that you hold as tradition, as vital, and I, and I see in the Word of God that the Word of God would teach you not to do that, to lay that down and stop, there will be a committee for a new preacher. Because when people speak the truth, there's a whole lot of people who don't like to hear it. Now, I know, I know, don't, don't be offended, I'm sorry, don't be offended, everybody does it. I'm not saying you're worse than somebody else, we all do that. When I turn on a podcast and a guy says something and I go, how in the world can he say something like that, he's crazy, he doesn't know what the Bible teaches, and then I go into the Bible and I go, oh. That is what it's in. It's in me too. Because we hold to our traditions, the things that have been passed down. And we tend to be less knowledgeable about what the Bible actually says. We're real knowledgeable about what the preacher said. But preachers are just fellows with the same struggle that you have, right? 
We just aren't afraid to stand up in front of everybody and tell them about it. That's all. We want to see God's light transform us all. So we're not like that. Look what it says in Nehemiah 9.26. Nevertheless, they were disobedient, rebelled against you, and cast your law behind their back and killed your prophets, who warned them in order that they would turn back to you. The prophets came out and said, man, we're getting it wrong, guys. We're, we, have, we have a bad attitude. Our attitudes are out of, of shape. And we need to conform. That's what a prophet did. He said, the Lord's calling us to repent. And the people would say, man, who, who, who told you any of this stuff? Who are you? And the prophet would be honest and he would keep telling them the truth about the Word of God. And the people would get more and more mad. We read about it when we see the crucifixion of Christ, don't we? Here's the problem. We think if we were there, we'd have been different. We think if we were there and heard the teachings of Jesus, we would have responded differently because there's got to be something better about me than there is about them. (coughs) But in truth, it's the same darkness inside us. The same attitudes will come through in us. Jeremiah 2.30, it said, In vain I struck your children, but they took no correction. Proverbs says that the wise man, when he is corrected, will change. That means a man wanting to follow wisdom, Jesus, when he's corrected, he'll change. But the fool stiffens his back and asks for another beating. I've been the fool so many times in my life, I can't even tell you. I jokingly say, God hit me with a two-by-four and I didn't listen, so he got a four-by-four, and then I did. (laughs) But we do that, right? This is the same thing. The prophets came to you. Your, Your own sword devoured your prophets like a ravening lion. The prophets would come and tell you the truth. And you put him down. Stephen, in his address to the, to the elders, the same Sanhedrin that killed Jesus, in Acts 7.52, said this, Which of your prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one, whom you have now betrayed and murdered. The same guys that Jesus is talking to are going to be the ones that killed him. Right? Same thing. How do we make sure that that stuff inside of me doesn't cause me to take that kind of a trail, that I don't get myself off track, that I don't make my ears so callous that I'm not able to hear the compassion in the heart of God anymore in His Word? How do I protect myself? We sang a song today called Cornerstone. You know what the concept of the cornerstone is? Either you fall broken on the cornerstone or the cornerstone falls on you. I want to fall broken on the cornerstone. I don't want to be a hypocrite who says, I don't have this in me. I don't want to be somebody who denies this. I want to be somebody who's honest and says, falls down on his knees before God and says, God, I need you to fix me, help me. Isn't that what God wanted from the people all along in the Old Testament? All along He was saying, come back, pray, pray, Confess, repent, and I'll heal you. 
And all the while, it grew up to the point where people were saying, I, I'm not sick. There's nothing wrong with me. I got it all together. I'm good. In verse 49, he said, Therefore also the wisdom of God said, I will send them prophets and apostles, some of whom they will kill and persecute, so that the blood of all the prophets shed from the foundation of the world may be charged against this generation. From the blood of Abel, that's in Genesis, to the blood of Zechariah, the last book in the Hebrew canon is Chronicles. That's the first martyr and the last martyr of the prophets. That all will be guilty. <coughs> yes, I tell you it will be required of this generation. Now who said they're sending the prophets? The wisdom of God said. Oh, I say that's Jesus. Well, let me try to show you. Matthew 23, 34. Let's listen to the same thing written by Matthew. Verse 34, Matthew 23. Therefore I send you prophets and wise men and scribes, some of whom you will kill and crucify, some you will flog in your synagogues and persecute from town to town. Who's talking that time? Jesus. Who's the wisdom of God? Jesus. Who's the second power in heaven? Jesus. Who's the angel of the Lord? Jesus. Who's the physical manifestation of God every time from Genesis to Revelation? Jesus. He says, the wisdom of God said, I sent them. Jesus is saying, I sent the prophets to you. And when a messenger of God comes to you and tells you what God's word says, you close your ears, you, 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 you open, gape with your mouth, and you try to throw them off a cliff. That's Luke chapter 4. This is what happens inside of us if we neglect to realize that the evil is not out there. It's not out there somewhere. It's in here. Sin is in here. When Cain was going to kill his brother Abel, you remember what God said to him? He said, Cain, why are you so downcast? Why are you so mad? If you do right, I'll receive you too. Just confess. Repent. Be forgiven. And then God said something interesting to Cain. Sin is at the door of your heart, Cain, and its desire is to control you. But you, Cain, should rule over it. Cain took the warning of God, went and picked up a rock, and bashed his brother's head in. And we all think, Cain's out there somewhere. Listen, folks, sin is at the door of your heart. And its desire is to rule you Jesus Christ died on the cross to set you free from your bondage to sin. But you have to surrender. You have to live a life of repentance and confession, not a life of hypocrisy that says, I'm good. Uh, Romans chapter 3 would say, there is how many good? Oh, you guys know it. None good. No, not one. Well, that's pretty emphatic, right? <clears throat> there is 
none good. The scripture says, man, uh, you killed these prophets, the ones who come to you. Verse 52, he says, woe to you lawyers, for you have taken away the key of knowledge. You didn't come in yourself and you stop others from coming. What's the key of knowledge? Remember what they did earlier? Jesus cast out a demon by the light that was within him because he is God in the flesh. And they said, you're the devil. They took the key of the Messiah, they denied it to the people, and they didn't enter in themselves. You took away the key. And you won't let people in. You won't let anyone come. In Proverbs 9.1 it says this, Wisdom has built her house. She has hewn it with seven pillars. The rest of the chapter is wisdom saying, Come. Come. Come to the house of wisdom. Jesus said over and over again, what? Come, follow me. Come, follow me. It's a path of life. Why did this chapter start with teaching the people to pray? Because the the call of of Jesus, the call of Luke, is pointing to the hypocrisy of the scribes and the lawyers, (coughs) the Pharisees, and you and I. And how do we do battle with our own hypocrisy? Our Father... Who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is. And that's how we do battle with our hypocrisy. How? We pray. In Chronicles, he said, If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray. If I think there's nothing wrong, I don't pray. If I think something's wrong, I pray. The point is, the Lord is saying in this entire chapter, look, our issue is, God wants to fill you with light. But in order to be filled with light, we have to be men and women of prayer. We have to be men and women who are not afraid to fall on our knees before a holy God and say, I'm a sinner, God, forgive me. Not afraid to confess our own ugliness. We can't sit around and deny it's there because we'll just go through life in a stupor. And we'll look around and we'll say, why is none of this stuff feel real? Why is none of these things happening like like I think they should be happening? Well, because we're asleep. And so God sends us the messengers. And the messengers come and they tell us the word of God. And they say, God's word is saying, man, God's people need to pray. God's people need to have that darkness within them cleansed by the love of Jesus Christ. Jesus stood before the people in John chapter 8 verse 12 and he said, I am what? The light of the world. And if you come to me, whoever follows me will not walk in darkness but have the light of life. Life. I need Jesus. I need Jesus every bit as much today as I needed him. I'm so old. I don't even know how long ago it was. 40 some years ago. I need Him. I need Him to forgive me every day. I need to spend time in confession every day. I can't deny this. I can't pretend to live as a hypocrite. I can't dress up the outside. I can't do it anyways. I try. I have a rebellious nature. Does anybody know that? I have a rebellious nature. If you tell me you don't like a beard, I grow a big old beard. If you tell me that stupid ponytail looks retarded, I put a ponytail on my head. I this this is 
to my darkness inside. But God, God wants us not only to, to clean up this. He wants us to clean up this. The first way we do it is by coming to Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. And the light takes place within us. And the second way we do it is what David said. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. So daily I have to submit my heart to God. God, cleanse me. God, i got to put God's Word in my life. i got to start following Jesus and doing the things God wants me to do. And I can walk in victory. I can move forward in all the things that God wants me to do. I can let my light shine. That's what Jesus wants. But as long as we pretend the stories that we read about in the Bible are about other people and not us, we won't do anything. We'll just have another day like the 10,000 before. I hope our tomorrow is better. Because today, we as people are willing to confess, repent, and believe. Amen? Why don't you stand with me? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this opportunity, God, to <clears throat> come before you, to open our hearts and our, and our lives to you. God, I just pray that your Holy Spirit would move among us, because so oftentimes we have these opportunities. You know, in a little while, Lord, we're going to have prayer counselors, and there'll be opportunity to pray. And I pray, God, your Spirit would move through the hearts of men and women, that they would not be so proud that they say, you know what, I'm not going to go up for prayer. But rather they would say, I'm coming. I'm coming to pray. I need, I need what we've been talking about today. I need that light to shine in my darkness. I need to submit myself to Christ. If I'm a believer, then I need to submit myself to His Word and what His Word is teaching me. If I'm not a believer, I need to submit myself to Christ. Become a believer so that the light may shine. So that my darkness can be dealt with. God, I pray that we would stop looking everywhere else because the Bible would declare that revival begins in me, not somebody out there. I'm not waiting for the Spirit to fall across the street. I'm waiting for the Spirit to fall on me. I'm not waiting for my president to, to stand up and, and see his life radically transformed by the mercy of God moving and working and guiding his decisions and the things he do I'm looking for that to happen in me I got no business looking at anybody else until it's in me and until it is God's word is clear if my people will humble themselves stop thinking more highly of themselves than they ought if they're willing to in humility call out to me he said, I'll forgive them their sins. And I'll heal their land. God, I want healing in Buell. I want healing in the lives of the people in this room. I want you to set people free of their bitterness and anger and frustration that they hold against their brother or their sister. I want you to set people free from... Uh, just the status quo. I want you to set people free from going through life half asleep.
the way you set us free, God, is, is when we will hear what Luke told us in the beginning of the chapter and we'll pray. We pray, God, fix me. We pray, God, change me. I want to see your transformation inside of my life. I want light. I want when, when I give of the alms that are within me, that what comes out is graciousness and mercy and love and kindness. God, I pray that you would do this perfect work, that your spirit would blow through this place, that your rushing wind would come in and drive us to you. Because before anything else changes anywhere else in this world, it's got to change in me. So God, move in this place. In Jesus' name. Amen.